Welcome to the Competitive 40K Podcast, brought to you by Vanguard Tactics. It's our mission to help you play, progress, and perform at this incredible game of Warhammer 40K, keeping sportsmanship and fair play at its absolute core. I'm your host, Dave Colmel, an out-of-work silent movie actor who has stumbled his way into trying to save a Mexican village from the evil El Guapo. Fortunately, I have two fellow actors and friends with me on this adventure. They are my friends and 40K mentors, the founder and one of the coaches of Vanguard Tactics. They are the lucky day and dusty bottoms to my Ned Niederlander, Steven Box, and Michael Costello. It is great to have you both here together. What's going on? What? Are you okay there, Steve? You look like you're in pain. I think you got in with dusty bottoms. I think so. Who's Dusty Bottoms? You're kidding, right? You, you Come on, you love comedies. You haven't seen The Three Amigos? No. Oh, that's probably because it came out before you were born. It's a who, comedy movie who? from the 80s. with It's it's <laughs> Chevy Chase and and uh, Steve Martin. Dusty Bottoms? What's he that's been doing? That's the character's name. It's a joke. They're, they're, they're silent movie actors who play cowboys. People think they're real cowboys, so they get stuck doing this... Stuck in a real cowboy movie. Almost like me and Mike playing Zombicide, to be fair. And we do the Wild oh, yeah? West edition. Yeah, it was epic. We'll play that at Vegas, mate. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you got to bring that. We can play the competitive uh, Zombicide podcast. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. And in 2024, I want the competitive Marvel Crisis Protocol podcast. Okay. Cool. We're on it. On it. Yeah. yeah. All right. So, um, uh, all right, so well, but today we're still the 40K podcast, at least for today. Um, so uh, we got to acknowledge our sponsor, Siege Studios. Yeah, Siege, honestly, done a cracking job and currently working on a um, actually their Warrior Workshop branch, which is kind of their their range of miniature painting for more a tabletop standard uh, rather than their sort of Golden Demon style um, or that kind of top caliber models that they do with Siege. So we're actually getting some extra forces to bulk out my um, Eldar, obviously to complement the avatar they did. So kind of been discussing with James what we're going to be doing for that, which I'm super excited about um, and incorporating some element of like the VT colors into the Warrior Workshop army. So um, yeah, just to really bolster out uh, the Eldar. So massive, massive thank you to C Studios. Awesome. Very cool. If you guys need anything commission painted, make sure to check them out and uh, go online, go check, go to Instagram and check out all the work that they post and go to their website for uh, the tuition page where you can sign up for classes and one-to-one um, with their amazing painters. Yeah. So uh, VT announcements, the competitive 40 K podcast community, Facebook page is rocking and rolling. We got some great conversations going on in there. Obviously the password for this month, uh, well, actually, no, by the time this, because this is the last day of the month that we're we're in here. So what's the password going to be for January? It's a good question, actually. I like how you just spring this on me. Um, You're welcome. You know, two minutes. This is, this is this is why we record all of this live. Yeah, that is true. Um, so what, what could we have the password to be? Um, who's cool in the 41st millennium? Who's cool? Come on. Maybe the password should be Costello. Uh, I mean, I am quite cool in the uh, 40K. The 41st millennium. Uh, what about Horace? I can't think of anything better. He's not 41st millennium, mate. Right, but he kicked it all off, didn't he? Yeah, he's he's so he's so 10,000 years ago, please. Have you seen those new videos, Games Virtual? Just Asriel. Oh, yeah, all right. He's got we'll a sick a- model coming out that has uh, yeah. been previewed. So I reckon cool. Asriel. All, all right, right. Asriel all right, so there it in. is. This is this is how we this is how we get things done at VT, folks. Uh, so the the password for January is going to be Asriel. Uh, and remember, no password, no answering the questions, no entrance, no yeah, shirt, no shoes. Great, that was a great idea of mine. I'm really glad we've gone with Asriel. Yeah, nice. Yeah, 
Well done, Steve. Thank you. Thank that's you. that's nice why one. you are a fearless leader. Thank you. Yeah. Um, also, the Academy is uh, opening back up soon. I think there's still time to sign up for the next uh, session. You are wrong. Right? It's closed. It is closed. Oh, it's closed. I am it's wrong. Closed now, Dave. Wrong, wrong. Yeah. But what you can sign up for is the Vanguard Tactics Workshop at the Las Vegas Open, which is the day before the Las Vegas Open. So if you're in the area or you're coming to maybe, you know, play in the event um, or you just want to come down for the day and understand more about the game, how to actually prepare for a tournament and get some repetitions in with myself and all the coaches, um, then do sign up for the workshop. And all you need to do is head over to the Frontline Gaming website. They've got a little search button, click Vanguard Tactics or search for that. And you better find either the standard ticket or the VIP ticket. There are still some spaces available. Uh, I think around 30 have sold already, uh, but we do have some spaces for a few more. So um, yeah, get signed up. And it'll be awesome to see many of you at the Las Vegas Open coming up at the end of the month. Yep. And you do remember, guys, you do not have to be playing in the Grand Championship to be in the workshop. You can be you playing. You need an friendly, army, though. Playing, you, well, yes, you need to bring some models. You got to bring bring it, bring at least a thousand points of models, uh, you know, to to make the most of the workshop. Yeah. Um, and it, it was absolutely worth it for me last year to do it. Um, we're going to be doing it again this year. And yes, it's 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 legit, guys. This is this is the time to get some hands on practice with the terrain. The actual frontline gaming terrain is all on the tables. We use the actual tournament tables and uh, get Steve's going to be there. Mike's going to be there. Um, Kyle, uh, Matt, Laura, a bunch of the other coaches are all going to be there. Uh, ben Jones is going to be there. So, guys, sign up for this. It is absolutely worth the ticket, the price of admission. So uh, do that. And then uh, we got a couple of reviews today. The first one, the first one is is something unique. Uh, I didn't get the name of the person who posted it, but the title was Great Game Content, Not a Fan of New Host. Thank you. Somehow it's a five-star review. Who's the new host? I don't know. I don't know is who the new host Dave? is. I, I'm, a, I'm the newest since I've only been doing this for, you know, 11 months now. But yeah, whatever. Maybe it's a joke. Yeah. Maybe it's like sarcasm. I don't think so. There was a five star well, review you gotta, there. You got to hear the. Well, here you got to hear the rest of this, and you'll know that he's almost certainly referring to me. Okay. Uh, the 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 post is the game content mechanics reviews advice is an incredible resource. To be frank, the new host comes off as wanting to be right with the people on the show, often citing that it's the lawyer in them. Also made light of gun ownership in the states. I understand this is a war game, but living here with the prevalence of gun violence made this a pretty sour note. I think the show, Academy, and community has been a tremendous help as a whole. The welcoming and positive outlook that this podcast started with just feels a bit dulled, despite the levity and information it provides. Wow. Where, where do you live, Dave? Uh, Georgia, in the South. There's guns in Georgia, right? Uh, almost in every house. Oh, okay, so you, you also have to live with it. Right. Yes, okay. yes. Um, uh, we are actually what is called a constitutional carry state, so you don't even need a permit to open carry a gun in this state. As of as of this past July, so yeah, guns are guns are pretty pretty common here. In most, I would say, in most states in the U.S., guns gun ownership is a pretty big thing. I carry two around with me at all times. Well, yeah, I know, but those are those were you were born with. They're called Jeff Johnson and Tom O'Leary. Yeah, yeah. That's why you. That's why you always wear those tight shirts. It's just just give everybody a ticket to the gun show. That's it. Yeah, and they're free. Those tickets um, are free. You don't need to pay for those uh, because arms are kept at ninety degrees at all times. That's right. <laughs> uh, I will say that I'm not going to respond to any, you know, we, we won't talk about politics on the show because we are above all of that nonsense. Um, no. And, uh, but I will just to clarify a couple of things. I don't take gun ownership lightly. Um, I take my gun ownership very seriously. I'm a 
combat veteran. I, I actually served and fought in war in Afghanistan. And so I take my gun ownership very seriously. Um, as far as my need to be right, uh, it has nothing to do with my being a lawyer. It's just a personal flaw. So, But Dave, you are normally right, though. So I'm, fair. I'm, 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 I'm fine with you being right, Dave. Yeah, someone's got to be because I'm not. I, I appreciate that, Steve. And I, that's why I need you to talk to Shauna when we're all in Vegas together and remind her of that. Thank you. Well, in my opinion, it's one of your many personal flaws, but we'll carry on. You know, and I appreciate that, Mike. I, I do. Um, I, you know, I need, I need friends to, to keep me in, in place because obviously my ego is so huge that you know, I'm going to, you know, I'm, I'm one of those cheerleader types. You know, I'm going to build you right up, Dave. Don't you worry. You carry on being right, my man. You got God this. love you, Steve. Uh, all right. So you're going to, you're going to build my, my ego just the way you helped me build up in the gym. So That's both it. of which are going steadily. So brilliant. Uh, okay. Uh, however, we have a little more positive of a second review, which is just love this five star review um, from Rhett Dev uh, via Legend. Apple Podcasts. Thank you, Rhett Dev. Um, he said, not only is it great 40K contact with a wonderful attitude and mindset, but the Dresden Files reference pushed me to pull over my car and immediately leave a review. So cheers to, to you, sir. We, we appreciate you. And I'm glad that we, I found at least one fellow Dresden Files uh, fan on the podcast. I knew I would. <laughs> yeah, I just hope they pulled over safely. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, for us, for us, that's on the right side of the road. For you, it's the left side of the road, though. Or the wrong side, yeah. Um, I yes. just hope they also pulled over their car and nothing else, because that could always be a bit awkward. That could, yes, indeed. Yeah. Mm. Um, all right. So, uh, as always, if you guys like uh, hearing all this fantastic content, um, non-political content, uh, leave please like, share, subscribe, leave us a five-star review. Uh, if, as always, if you want to find us on social media, you can find Steven on Instagram at, at the Vanguard Tactics. He's also on there at, at Fit for 40K. Uh, that's his other page. Um, you can find Mike at, at VT underscore Mike underscore. And I'm, of course, on there as at Infantry Lawyer 40K. And don't forget to check out uh, www.vanguardtactics.com to get more information about the Academy. Don't forget to check out YouTube for all of the Vanguard Tactics stream games and other content. Uh, and now. We have a rules lawyer question. Actually, we had two. Uh, Steve, you want to do the one that, that Matt Laura asked? Yeah, it's a great question from Matt. He asked me, um, looking to get some confirmation on the damage of the grav gun that the Votan have. Um, but is it the Thunderkin? Is that right, Dave? Is that what they're called? Yes. Yeah, yeah. The, the yeah. broke your Thunderkin. Nice. See, that's you being right again, Dave. Okay. Well done. <laughs> Good, Matt. Thank you. So um, Matt's question was, are they damage three? Um, because it just says about having a save characteristic of three or more. Um, now, I'd love this to get FAQ'd because obviously, you know, Zinch, for example, have a three up save against ranged attacks. Um, so I would assume that when shooting Zinch, yes, you become damage three. Um, and when you're shooting something that's not as a save characteristic of, uh, you know, three up uh, that isn't against range, then I'd say no. So um, it's only going to depend probably on that ranged version. Obviously, demonic saves are a bit weird. It doesn't specify armor save, and it doesn't specify invulnerable save. It just says save characteristic, and that's exactly what the demon save characteristic is of Zinch. So I'd assume for now, yeah, I think it's fair game as well, because it's not going to affect all the units. It's only some. Yep. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, like you said, it rules is written. It says save characteristic. It doesn't say armor save. So yeah. Um, now, would you say that that would apply? What if a unit's got a, um, somehow has a, five up regular armor save and as a three up invuln no because that's a because that's a different type of save the uh, invulnerable save. oh yeah it's it not the same characteristic exactly yeah. yeah it wouldn't be written on the data sheet that'd be written somewhere else like lower down in the notes section of the right yeah okay yeah, that makes sense because you have all your characteristics in the top bar right with like movement and the rest of it yeah nice 
Right. And so, and that actually pivots well into the other rules or question, which was from Carl Doolin on the community Facebook page. He asked, um, do malefic weapons allow for a plus one or minus one to hit? The rule says the weapon profile cannot be messed with, but the hit role is in the model's profile, just like the save characteristic is. Uh, he said, at the moment, I'm not modifying. Um, and, you know, they, there was some good conversation about it uh, on the um, on the page from a couple other group members. Uh, it was a really good conversation. It was very, first off, it was very respectful, and everybody was just putting forth their ideas and interpretations of the rules. Um, also, let's give a minute to just acknowledge Carl for saying that he's not taking advantage of the rule because then he's, he's not sure. So he's playing the sportsman like way and he's erring on the side of caution and not power gaming. So dude, props to you for that. Um, I did do some, so I looked it up. The rule says, unless otherwise specified, malefic weapons are never affected by effects or abilities that allow models to make additional attacks or abilities that would add to subtract from or improve their characteristics in any way. And then there's an FAQ that says, malefic weapons are never affected by rules that modify their characteristics. Does this apply to attacks made with them as well? And the answer was yes, unless otherwise specified, e.g. the bladed horn, it is not possible to modify the characteristics of an attack made with a malefic weapon. So with all that said, would you agree that if you have, say, a plus one to hit from... Some some other model gives you a plus one to hit ability. Would you say that the male- that doesn't apply to the malefic weapons? I would say it does apply because it's the attacks are being made by the the model. It's just anything in the stat line of that weapon can't be okay. affected at all in any way. That's that, yeah. that's my my point of view. So you couldn't affect the strength of the weapon. You couldn't affect the AP, and you can't affect the damage. Um, but you can affect the attacks being made. But it's the model making the attacks, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah, you can't change the number of attacks because it's the because it has the like the malefic four. It tells you how many mm. attacks to make. So you can't change that. But that too is also in the characteristic of the weapon itself. It's not changing the the main stat characteristic, the stat line of the model itself isn't being touched. On top of that, a plus one, a, a plus one or minus one would be on the dice roll, not on the on the stat. It's not yeah. changing the ballistic skill or weapon skill. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Steve, what were you going to say? Yeah, I was going to say, so if you're, you know, let's say, hitting Harlequins, which are minus one to hit in combat, you are minus one to hit regardless of the weapon that you're using. Okay, cool. So there's that. Um, and then, uh, so that's the, that's our rules lawyer questions. Guys, thank you for those questions. And um, we, you know, keep sending those in. I know there's tons left. We're going we're gonna to be saving up for another rules lawyer, an all rules lawyer episode probably in a couple months. So, um, and then, all right, before, lastly, before we get into our main topic, I got to do a huge shout out. To Benjamin Hughes Anderson, my friend, the legend, uh, VT student, and uh, somebody I've been, we've been gotten to be good friends through the academy. I put out a, an, an all points shout out call for help because I'm trying to finish up my Votan army, obviously, for um, the uh, battle ready major that I'm going to next weekend and uh, on the 7th and 8th. And I was just missing a box of Hearthguard to finish off my list. I could not find it everywhere. Everyone's out of stock. Ben went to a local store, found it, and he's shipping it to me overnight from Indiana. You are an absolute hero and a legend, sir. Thank you. Um, so now on to our main topic, which is we're just going to do it's You know, this is this is December 30th. It's the second to last day of the year. Uh, by the time this releases, obviously, it'll be January. But we wanted to do a retrospective on this year. So, I mean, first of all, let's talk about the number of codexes that came out this year. I did a I did a tally. Eleven codexes dropped. Wow. In 12 months. Wow. That's a lot of content. 
GW, you heroes. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, it's impressive. Yeah, we're still waiting for the main one to come out, though, aren't we? The world eaters, my boys. Well, yeah, yeah, the guard. Oh, oh. <laughs> we know where Who? Mike's priorities are at. Who? Uh, the he, oh, the Astra well, Militarum. I'm sorry. Yeah, you're, you're too young to know. <laughs> Who? It's okay, Steve. The other, the other army in red that Steve's going to be excited about. Um, yeah, but the, 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 although you two will be able to maybe find some some harmony there because I believe there's cavalry in that book. So then you know Mike's love of cavalry and Steve's love of things with chainsaws and red armor will will be overlapped and we will have it'll be a beautiful synergy. Yeah, can't wait. I yeah, can't, can't wait. wait. Is. I'm just so terrified about uh, having that Primarch model on the table. Angron just looks. The model's incredible. Um, everything from the pose to the sculpting, and it's just, it's awesome. But his stat line terrifies me. Mm. Although I think it was Mike, you were the one that made the comment that with Angron, it's it's sort of a, at a certain at a certain point, the fact that he has, whether he has 36 attacks, 48 attacks, or 97 attacks, he's just going to pick up one squad of whatever. It doesn't really matter. It's, it's yeah. just academic at that point. Yeah. I mean, realistically, so, 10 horses probably kills him anyway, so. I want to see this on the table. <laughs> I'm not commenting. I am not. I don't know. I mean, I, the thing is, we don't know what the rest of the book looks like. So, um, yeah. right. Well, yeah, yeah. The only thing we've seen with Angron so far is their stat line. We haven't seen any. Um, you know, well, we've seen a couple of additional rules, but we don't know if we've seen the whole picture yet. So it's really hard to yeah. comment. Um, you know, for example, some of the Primarchs have got extra elements of damage reduction and all those kind of cool things sprinkled in. We haven't seen that. You know, if he has any, he might not. If he doesn't, then, you know, is he just going to fall over uh, from a couple of rail guns? Or is he, you know, actually going to be pretty durable to get across the table? That's the thing that I'm interested to know. Um, and, uh, but you can't, for me, you cannot beat Khan the Betrayer. So uh, my army is going to be led by the one in the only Khan the Betrayer. Yeah. In a nice. rhino. Because he's a, you know, proper, he's a proper dude. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, proper world leader. Yeah. Um, but uh, that's looking to the future. We still wanted to go back to the past a little bit. So let's see. So last January, we had Custodes and GSC. Custodes mm -hmm. obviously took a couple of massive nerfs and just fell off of a lot of tournament representation and appearance. They're still there, but they it's usually just a very he dreadnought heavy list yeah. that you see. Well, they were incredibly powerful on release, weren't they? Oh, so, yeah. Army-wide OBSEC. Formed LVO. Yeah. I mean, thank God there's no other army in the meta right now that has army-wide obsec and a pregame move that can just take over and dominate the primary. Oh, wait. I mean, the, 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 one of the funniest things for me is um, the fact that, and this is kind of a, a, probably a, a conversation maybe for another day, but when the Custode Codex was leaked, Everybody was up in arms about how bad the codex was, crying about it, whinging, because I hadn't seen the whole picture. They hadn't had any test games. And everybody was saying how it was a nerf to the original codex. They wanted their old codex back, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so, you know, at that time I was like, no, I think there's some cool play here. I actually quite like the book. Um, and I actually still think to this day, between all of the different types of um, ways you can run the custodies whether it's shadow keepers or emperor's chosen or any of the others they're actually really cool they're really unique and there's really some good builds in there um 
So it was one of the reasons why I took them to LVO because I found them super interesting. I was reading some books. I you know, wanted to really improve my and push my painting, which I did with the army. And um, yeah, actually, that book was super strong, really, really strong because of the army wide you, you won Renaissance Man actually as well, didn't you? At the LVO I did. With the custodians. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, super pleased about that. Congrats yeah. on that. It's nice to look back on, on on some of those highlights as well. Yeah, yeah, I'd say that was definitely because obviously the start of the year for me was the the biggest thing was having the opportunity to do the first ever workshop at the Las Vegas Open there. Um, to be invited over by Kicker and the rest of the team was an absolute privilege. So yeah, coming over to do a workshop was awesome, and then obviously kicking off January with um, Renaissance Man uh, at the Las Vegas Open was huge. So uh, yeah, I think. It was an awesome way to kick off the year. And we're still today, you know, one of the biggest highlights, I think, of 2022 for me. Awesome. And now then the other codex that came out in January at the same time as Custodes went largely unappreciated up until about two months ago. And that was GSC. It seemed like GSC just I mean, they they have had no significant nerfs or buffs or anything. And the balance data slate ignored them as much as most tournament goers did, it seemed like. And then all of a sudden. Maybe I don't know if it was because they did a decent showing at WTC or what, but all of a sudden in the last couple of months, GSC has just came out of nowhere and they're just they're they're making a solid showing and kind of wrecking things and, and resetting things, which I think is great. I had never even seen a GSC player at a tournament up until uh, October. I think you've well, that's half the battle, isn't it? Is knowing your enemy. Um, and because the Genie Steeler Cult is so rare in terms of the player base, um, when somebody really knows that book well, it can often feel like, well, I'm not really sure how to deal with this army. I don't know. I don't know the challenge. I don't know the puzzle in front of me. They don't, I, they don't know how to solve it. So, you know, a good GSE player can kind of leverage that to their advantage of knowing their book well, um, and then also knowing their opponent's armies better than, um, you know, their opponents know theirs. So not like the case of Gotcha Hammer, but because obviously the book's available to read, you could understand it, take some time to divulge it. Um, which is obviously what all tournament players can and maybe should do if they really want to, you know, push their ability in the game. But um, yeah, it is one of those kind of interesting ones. There's a couple of interesting builds which really kind of pen you in your own deployment zone, uh, can, you know, deliver damage where they want to, um, and also got some fantastic secondaries as well. So yeah, all those different things combined together uh, in the hands of, you know, a skilled general, because often an army like that, that is very fragile, but, you know, quite toolboxy does often appeal to a high skill level player so therefore their win rates get pushed high they come up with innovative lists um and also you know essentially push push the meta in, in a certain direction which is really cool to see which is brilliant yeah it's nice to see gene sudoku at events i think they're a nice little underdog army so they can really offset and be a, a dark horse in many situations especially in team events uh, and, and like you were saying, they, they became really popular after the WTC. I think an Australian player ran a list at the event that became really popular um, using a lot of the bikes um, and quad bikes and stuff. Uh, and I think, yeah, GSC is, is a great army. I think we're seeing it a lot more now also because people have had the time to collect such an expensive army and yeah. paint it all. Cause it's, yeah, that's a, that's a high hobby skill army too. Exactly. There's so many models to paint as well. So, yeah. And then uh, before we okay, so before we move on to the next codex, I just have a question because you guys talk to him more often than I do. Um, how long until Jake gets a GSC tattoo? Any thoughts? I don't think that's happening, mate. I don't know. I don't think that's going to happen. I think he's too. He's he's now covered. He's covered in Votan. I don't think there's mm. any room left. Yeah. 
Well, he's probably got one somewhere, but somewhere that's very well hidden. Well, I don't know. I seeing some of the people I've seen in court, his face is not tattooed yet. So yeah, he could have just like the symbol of the forearmed emperor, slap bang front of that face, right yeah. on his forehead. Yeah, yeah. Mm. like it. So the next codex that came out was uh, my beloved Tau Empire, and they went. Ooh. They had kind of a you know we won't talk about them too much because I know Steve already gets Tau overload in our group chat <laughs> from Kyle. Um, but <laughs> um, I don't even acknowledge their existence anymore. <laughs> they 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 are dead to you. Um, yeah. The 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 Tau Codex kind of came out with at first it was all indirect all the time. And then that went away very quickly. And then it's just they they the codex has at least shown its strength in that it keeps evolving. I remember, I think it was the ironically it was the episode I did on the on the Tau Codex with Kyle where I asked him, "Are is anyone ever going to see the aircraft on the table?" And he said, "Probably not." And then a few months later, Tau bombers were frigging everywhere. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So that 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 codex has had a, a fairly interesting evolution throughout it showed its depth i think it's that it's still overall the army still suffers because it's a one-dimensional faction i mean you you play in mm. movement and shooting that's it psychic yeah. nothing go close combat nothing the thing with tau is that it's very much dependent on the terrain set um and it can either be you know an, an okay game playing against tau but also it can be absolutely brutal um and non-interactive um especially if you're you know maybe a combat army so I think one of those things that I've, some of the interactions that I've had with Tau, um, I would say probably the last few months, haven't necessarily been enjoyable for either me or my opponent um, because of the fact that they only dominate one phase of the game. Um, and I'll tell you why. So I either, you know, could go second and pretty much get table turn one to the point where there's a significant result to the game. Um, not exactly tabled but you kind of get my drift um or you have to play so aggressively against those tau armies that you do not let the tau opponent essentially get to play the game because you need to keep tying up their units um and also then create a non-enjoyable play experience for the tau player because if you give them an inch they'll literally just blow you off the table because they you know can be that effective especially at close range if they're far sight enclave so I think often um, when an army like that does really dominate one phase of the game, it can be incredibly difficult to, uh, you know, create a kind of interactive um, and, you know, the game for both players. Um, and again, and that's heavily dependent on the terrain set as well. So, yeah, that's just my thoughts on playing against Tau. Yeah. Uh, I, and honestly, that's why I've moved away, why I'm moving away from playing them, because I just... I want to play a more interactive game. I don't want to, like you said, either just blow them off the table or get penned up and just sit there and watch the game transpire in front of me with no interaction. Yeah. Yeah. So I really liked the towel when they, when they dropped, um, I thought the codex was a breath of fresh air compared to the old one. Cause we'd waited a long time uh, for a new one for the towel. Uh, and, and all of the units had really had a glow up uh, and yes, maybe some of them a bit too far um, as we discover later on. Um, but all of the units looked interesting, um, and I still think you could play the book without going for these apex units uh, and still have a good game. Um, you just do need to to manage yourself well, as we've said, because you're dealing most of your damage in one phase. Um, yeah. But I think internally, um, a good book, uh, difficult to balance with all of the exterior factors. 
um, like you know the meta and terrain, as Steve said. Yeah, um, but yeah, I, th- I think it was a good release. Obviously, a bit too powerful. Yeah, for yeah. for for what the Tau are supposed to be in the fluff, it was a fantastic book, and and most of the units, bar barring three maybe or four, all mm-hmm. every unit was playable. Every unit, you know, I'm I I still maintain that I. I proved that the Tidewall Shield Line is absolutely a playable unit. It 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 functioned for me spectacularly as a screening unit all yeah. season. Yeah. But I also think that the time has come for GW to, and I hope they're listening, um, to in the next iteration of the Codex evolve the faction a bit. Give them a drone that pr- gives them deny the witch rolls. Give them give the breachers some sort of close combat weapon. Mm. I understand that they're supposed to be an all shooting army and that they generally issue um, melee combat, but at the same time, no soldier, no matter how much you might like shooting, even a sniper knows how to fight because you you have to know how to survive because eventually you know the army's going to close to get to grips with you and you have to know how to defend yourself. So yeah. there has to be a little bit more it all shooting all the time and nothing else at all, not even having the option. I mean, I don't even waste time rolling dice with my, in, in melee combat with my towel. As soon as you charge me, all right, my, my interaction on that is done. I'm not going to waste my time because I have too many dice to roll in the shooting phase. I'm not going to waste my time. And then that can actually start to take the power down a little bit, potentially. Um, so yeah, I, I kind of like that idea. Yeah, nice. Yeah, I think bring, awesome. bring back crew Narlock riders. If you remember those from Forge World. They're no longer continued, but it's like a bigger... Like yeah. cavalry, two-legged cavalry with crew on it. Um, I think something like, akin to Rough Riders for the Guard right now. You and your cavalry. Squeeze that into the book. Maybe lessen the power level, obviously, because uh, they're crew. You know, they're not quite as good as a dude on a horse. Um, and then, you know, more points is going into a combat uh, counter charge than there is into shooting because you know skewing all your points into guns is is what's causing the issues in right. the game. Yeah. I'm I'm fine with dialing back the power of the guns a little bit and just give them a little bit of melee power to balance them out. Give us some kind of four-phase, five-phase interaction. I think it's also important at this point to mention, because we did mention sponsors, um, and I think we have to massively thank Seize Studios for the Tau Army that we have at the studio painted in the Farsight scheme, because it is absolutely stunning um, and uh, a joy to behold every time I walk in the studio. Um, so yeah, if you haven't seen it, obviously it's in a fair few of our battle reports. You'll see the beautiful Tau army, um, in action and, uh, yeah, they are stunning on the tabletop. All right. So then the next codex we want to move on to was sort of two and one, which was Eldari and Harlequins. Eldari had a strong first half of the year or first six months after they came out with, uh, obviously everybody started skewing towards hail of doom. And I don't even remember what the other one was called. Um, and that every the, the custom craft rolls that everyone was taking, and then there was, and then Harlequins came out. They sort of were sneaking in quietly, and then all of a sudden they've picked up momentum, and they continue to pick up momentum, and now they're one of the top factions. Yeah, you well, know, at win loss percentage. We saw Void Weavers hit the scene, didn't we? Oh um, yes, and that was obviously a yeah a dark moment in uh, <laughs> 40k, especially at some of those very big events uh, over in the states. Yeah, the mo- the moment that 3D printers cried out in terror. Yeah, this was this was Manchester, wasn't it? We I think Manchester was the first release, uh, first event using yes. the rules because I um I think there was a lot of nine void weaver lists. Uh, mm. A lot of you know Harlequin's light was typically the the play. Um, yep. I took a dark Harlequin list, and I knew at the time that the book hadn't had its FAQ. Um, and I was using the book without core on my troops. 
Uh, so that was one thing that obviously the Void Divas yeah. didn't care about. Um, and I remember actually playing against that Void Weaver list. Um, I think it was my round two and um, basically had an awesome game against Chris. I played then, but um, yeah, my army was just so fast. I was able to close it down. And that was really, again, like a little bit like playing Tau. You just to close it and tag it. Uh, but that list, if it shot you, was absolutely brutal. Um, in Fair Play, the yep. Games Workshop for stepping in swiftly um, and giving that an immediate points increase, uh, which it so desperately needed because the shooting was too efficient and far too durable uh, than it you know, probably should be um, at that sort of skimmer level. But um, yeah, and that was um, yeah another great event up in Manchester. Um, yeah, so that was actually the event I got a lot of stick for because I didn't stay until the... the the, the top cut. I don't know if you uh, saw that, Dave. Uh, that one certainly sticks out in my mind because we. Yeah, you had to leave early to take because you were you were traveling with a couple other people and then you had to dip out early. Yeah, so I made the top cut. Um, but yeah, because obviously I had I think Mike, you were in the car, weren't you? Then um, yeah. that was that was the event where you left you left your army in the hotel. Then we had to drive back. And oh, get I remember. It. Yeah, and um, yeah. <laughs> And uh, obviously, I didn't want to drive, you know, six hours home potentially at you know eleven o'clock in the evening. So, um, you know, I d- we decided to just you know head off uh, at the end of day Sunday. Uh, but yeah, I got a lot of abuse about yo, you prep tournament players and you didn't even you know plan a hotel and take the day off work. And I was like, seriously, no, my safety is a lot more important than you know mm-hmm. placing in the top four of a tournament. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. Can you imagine if every event I went to, I booked a hotel and took the day off work, Mike, just in case that I made the top. Yeah. Can you imagine? Yeah. Well, I'd have a few more days off, wouldn't I? So, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, now, if, if you were, uh, dipping out at the end of day one, because you lost a single game and were, you know, being a whinging little whiner and, you know, yeah. trying to and just cutting out because you you couldn't possibly you know make the top cut now then yeah. i would give you a hard time yeah you know, exactly. but that's that's not other teams do that but we don't do that no you, you stay so, till the end do you know what i mean unless it's right. like oh you know i've had an illness before right where i'm like i'm not feeling good i need to go home um remember that game you and i played michael and it was just at that rtt yeah. and i felt horrendous just trying to grip on through those last um those those last few turns and you know michael was a great sport through that but um yeah you know you, you just you got to put everything in all the time you really do um but yeah it's a shame yeah uh and then uh the next codex that came out after that is one that is still remain doing quite well all the way to nine months later and that's the nids codex mm, and yes obviously what month was that? That was a, um, that was when you had the little green guys, uh, Mike. They didn't have yes. cavalry though. Um, it was June, I think. Or uh, no, that was it in March. May. It was May. It was May because we was went to. Yeah, we had a few things happen around then. We had the um, also massive shout out to Games Workshop for inviting myself and Jake to the Horus Heresy event. That was absolutely awesome. Uh, we had to paint the Sons of Horus for, um, obviously, and that was a real pri- privilege to be featured in the cabinets of uh, Warhammer World and everything and meet a few people and get to know a little bit more about Horus Heresy. But then shortly after that, we went to the Bay Area Open. And that was, the, I think, the first event with NIDS. Uh, Michael took the Hydra, uh, a really cool, different list um, that everybody was like, 
what is this rubbish? Um, I took the overpowered, broken Blood Angels, um, you yes. know, and uh, yeah, Mike, you absolutely smashed Quick it. Centurions. I had put them on the map. Five assault centurions in, and I think literally the the commentators were coming up to me every game. They were like, "So, Steve, what did the assault centurions kill in that game?" And I was like, "Well, let me tell you. Let me check my list because they've killed a few things." <laughs> um, and that was an awesome event, absolutely awesome event that the guys uh, from FLG uh, put on. And um, I know, Mike, that was the first time you'd kind of gone over to the states, right? And how was it for you? Yeah. First holiday in a long, long time. Um, so yeah, massively appreciate the opportunity um, and it, lovely to to do a workshop finally with VT. Obviously, this is the 2022 was really a, a whole year of me having been at VT. So a really, really good year for me. Um, and um, yeah, I was super happy with with playing at BAO um, and um, and obviously the the result as well. The other great thing about Tyranid's Codex coming out was that it was the uh, the 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 final Death Knell and Swan Song for Crusher Stampede. Which was up until yeah, then God. just the an absolute the nightmare worst. of a bad idea. The worst, the worst. <laughs> that was, yeah, yeah, yeah. That that's going to be one of those things that th- that when people look back on ninth edition, they're going to go, "Oh God, remember Crusher Stampede?" Oh, like yeah. that's just the way. Like the the possessed bombs from what was it seventh edition, and yeah. some of those things that people look back on is just horrible. It looked good. You know, it was probably somebody at GW had a great idea, but then in practice, it got abused so badly and was yeah. so well, broken. Yeah. Well, I think because it started to then stack with all the other uh, publications at the time, it created this real, like, just mm. awful, just ugh, uninteractive play experience. Um, in yeah. fact, uh, sleeping on a bed of nails, I found more pleasurable um, than playing against the Crusher Stampede. It, yeah, it, it's interesting because because you have those moments during 40k and as the meta evolves, where you, you're sort of in your head, you've got like a pros and cons to going to a tournament, and, and the cons list might be very small, but something like Crusher Stampede is around is such a significant deterrent to necessarily wanting to attend an event, or something like the Admec Plains when we had those around as well. Um, so it was like really hung over your head when you're like i'm gonna to go to a tournament but i don't think i can win if i end up playing x army yeah um, yeah i mean to, thankfully so this, it's gone now this it reminds me of a game i played um and luckily i've had actually no i've actually had a few bad games this year i've had some really awful games this year 40k well i've played you a few times so i know mike has been bad hasn't it um in full transparency but there was one game i played i remember it was it I'm not going to name the event because people could look up the person potentially, but I was running my Harlequins and um, played against an individual with the crusher. And I was like, look, I'm I'm on, I'm on an uphill battle here. The whole army's toughness eight. And I think like reduced damage by one. My whole army is strength four and two damage. Okay. So I'm wounding you on sixes and then uh, I'm only ever going to do one damage. Right. Uh, with my combat harlequin so i was up against it and i'm thinking right this is a bad draw i'm gonna lose i'll just try and score some points and said to my opponent look i'm outside of three inches of hurricane dimension here here and here um and then they turned around and went ah but you're within three inches of the wall here and i can hurricane intervene uh my hive tyrant and get within an inch of your model and i was like dude really like i stated that was clearly my intent i had easily had the move He's like, well, you've left your model within three, so I'm going to hurricane intervene now. I was like, right, okay. Uh, if that's what you really want to do, if that's the game you want to play, 
And um, he was like, oh, and this is the Hive Tyrant out of the two that he had that ignores in runs. I was like, mm, that's convenient, isn't it? Um, so lose entire unit of bikes. Um, and then literally I, I proceeded to get tabled in two turns. I think at the start of my turn three, I conceded because I had a, like a Shadow Seer left and two other dudes. Um, and then this individual put a bad sportsmanship uh, complaint about me that I, uh, yeah, basically conceded early. I was like, what do you expect me to do with three models left? Um, when we're clearly playing a, a different game, you know, I can't win yeah. this um, at all. And uh, yeah, yeah, you're trying to push the boundaries of what you can get away with. Um, anyway, very bad game against that individual. And to this day, if I ever paired them again, I just refuse to play it because I know during that game at some point, I would have one of those interactions with them. Um, and I know Jack recently had the same similar interaction with the same person. So for me, it would just be, if I saw that draw, it would be, no, concede immediately. Um, and do you know what? I'd just rather do anything but spend some time with that individual. So, yeah. And it just, I mean, it really takes the, if you, if you are yeah. using an army like that, then just go, Hey, look, let's, let's just try and make a game of it as best we can. Don't try and push the envelope of what you can get away with. Um, because you just come across as a, power gaming win at all cost douchebag to be honest so yeah yeah and if you're if you're already playing a, a list that most people know and openly recognize as broken yeah you've got to have so much desperation in you to be acknowledged for something in your life that you're gonna try to max out 100 points in every game and and get win by such a point differential that frankly most tournaments don't even pay attention to anyway that yeah. calm down like you, yeah. you, you really need therapy at that point. You, you yeah. have to do some internal soul searching and fix yourself. If that's where you're going to get your, your personal validation is trying to over game an already over tuned list like that. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I remember uh, at LVO, I was a couple second, third round. Um, I was on a table next to Malik and Malik was playing Crusher, Crusher Stampede and Malik, like his game was over, I think within an hour and a half. And, yeah. but that, I mean, he was cool about it. I watched the way he was playing. Like he was respectful to his opponent. His opponent was cool with it. Like it was just a fact that Crusher Stampede was just a broken list. thing. Yeah. Yeah. It was just yeah. a really good list, but Malik wasn't a jerk about it either. No. So. No. Your, your conduct when you play is everything, right? Um, and again, like there's, I think the sort of playing with intent, I'd love to have another podcast about whether it's good for the game or bad for the game. And I think, um, we're, we're at a position, obviously, VT has always tried to have a standpoint on sportsmanship and fair play and, you know, playing with intent, like what I mentioned. Hey, um, you know, my intent's to be outside of hurricane intervention here. Cool. That's great. What's not cool is when people claim intent, like you're some sort of mind reader, if they didn't communicate that. And actually, you know, I would say a lot of top players I see play now. Um, and when I say top players, I just mean like regular kind of tournament players. Um, there's a select few of those individuals that now are using to play intent um, as a means of covering up sloppy play where they didn't communicate, where they are essentially blatantly cheating. Um, so I think, you know, another really good show would be talking about, you know, where and when is it appropriate to use uh, playing by intent and, and when it's not in what's acceptable levels of that um verging on you know when does it get into the realms of you know essentially being a bad sport um, and, and pushing that to your own advantage because i think there's this emphasis on um and obviously you know i think we've been a part of that movement is being a good sport 
But I think there's a huge amount of pressure at the moment that players are putting on each other to be a good sport. Like, oh, do you mind if I... I do mind, actually. Yeah, I do mind. Uh, You're now making me have to um, say, yeah, sure. You're you're putting it on me to be the nice guy and you're putting it on me to be a good sport to let you get away with, you know, what could be a very big mistake um, in which you probably should know better to do. Um, So anyway, I think there's a whole conversation there we could definitely have about sportsmanship, fair play, and actually what it means to be a good sport and ultimately uh, taking responsibility for your mistakes. Yeah. Yeah, Steve, that's, that's the next episode, man. You're getting ahead of me. Sorry. Well, to be honest, I don't think, I don't really think we should bother with the the whole sportsmanship and fair play thing anymore. Sack it off. Yeah. You know, I think I'd win more games if uh, I just cheated. I agree. To be honest. Yeah. I'm going to plant uh, so, all the sixes behind terrain, ready to pick them straight yeah, up. Well, I, you see, I, I was, I've been thinking about bringing an extra few hundred points to each of my games. Yeah, I like that. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's and good see move. if I can get away with that. Yeah, it's a good plan. Yeah, no, no one will check your list anyway. No, no exactly. And don't and don't bring your codex. Don't bring your codex to events. Just tell people that that's the rule. You know what it is. Exactly. Yeah, I'm, I might bring like a I don't know one in a foreign language. Yep. And then use Google yeah. Translate to make sure I get the right interpretation. Yeah. There you go. I like it. Good. Nate, these are, these are all good tactics, guys. These are great tactics. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sensational. Uh, all right. So then um, the next codexes that came out, getting back on topic, uh, the next codexes that came out, I um, also think in May or maybe it was early June, was Imperial Knights and Chaos Knights. Oh, yeah. That was just before BAO, wasn't it? It was, yeah. That must have been just yeah. before. Because I remember our preparations, we were talking about being able to take on Knights. Yeah. yeah, I think I think Tyranids dropped in April, but you guys went to BAO yeah. in May, and then yeah. Knights came out. Both the Knights books came out in May, um, and they've sort of been everybody. I, I hear some people refer to them as a gatekeeper army. Do you guys feel that way? That that it's just sort of a if you can't plan to take on Knights, then you're you're not you're only going to get so far in well, an event. It was weird because Chaos Knights really came out of the gate, uh, hitting and swinging quite hard, didn't they? Because mm. everyone was you know jumping on the abominant the sort of trans hitman based ability and i remember it uh, in our preparations for bao we were you know testing against nids um and obviously that was kind of why looking back i actually took blood angels because i knew blood angels were great into uh you know the the knights the chaos knights because i can get plus one leadership from dante warlord traits because of their uh you know dread range and everything because if you fail those you can't charge whatever it is or shoot the sort of model you want to so yeah, yeah i remember at the time it was really chaos knights with a big uh boogeyman list part of the reason you ran centurions i think it was yeah because they just absolutely smash knights the ap4 uh flat damage three um you know and a really defensible um so yeah i think that was one of the biggest reasons why i actually took blood angels looking back and that was it because nids had had their first faq because i remember playing somebody in the uh, round seven, so it is on the when we, we're in the, when we were me and Dave, um, me and Mike, Dave were in the top eight. Um, my opponent used a rule in which I knew had been FAQ'd uh, in the Nids book, and I said, "Hey, you know, um, I don't believe you can use that ability on that uh, unit anymore because I think they wanted to use a certain type of ability or power on uh, some a unit, and it has to be a character." Um, and they were like, oh, right, what? So I checked it, and yeah, it was actually, I remember the FAQ had been out, so yeah, this is, yeah, about right. Because everyone was playing, what was it, Kraken and... Um, Leviathan. 
Leviathan, I, yeah. They were the I went two. through three Leviathan lists on my way to the top. <laughs> Same. Yeah. yeah, I played against, yeah. I think, two Krakens and a Leviathan. Um, and obviously, yeah, uh, that was a good showing. But yeah, there wasn't a huge amount of Knights players, though, was there? Um, I played a Chaos Knights soup list. Um, yeah, same. I think um, with Knights, I mean, obviously, shout out to Chris Anderson, who is sometimes on the channel. Um, uh, he came with us uh, and was an absolute delight to travel with. Um, but he brought uh, Imperial Knights uh, done in the, the Vanguard Tactics scheme, um, and, and he did quite well. Um, but I think with Imperial Knights, what's interesting is that um, as the year progressed, people started looking at the more complicated side of Imperial Knights. The book had only just come out, right? So people hadn't yeah. quite understood the nuances of the free blade lance. Um, and then suddenly people realized, oh, actually, this free blade lance is fantastic. And I don't know who's responsible for coming up with the the, the main go-to list today. Um, yeah. But obviously, lots of armages popular in both um, Chaos and Imperial Knights. Uh, and in this case, you know, having four invuns and minus one damage um, really, really helps them stick around. And their secondary game's really strong as well. So Imperial Knights have sort of gotten better as people understood the codex more. Um, yeah. And Chaos Knights, I think, have gotten worse um, in terms of uh, their uh, victories uh, or their, what's their, their win percentage um, because people have been able to deal with them better. Well, I think as well, because people have had to deal with Leviathan, so, you know, if you can kill Maliceptors, oh, remember the Maliceptor. Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. um, so if you can deal with a, you know, Leviathan, Maliceptor and a Winged Hive Tyrant, you can pretty much deal with an Armager. Um, and, yep. you know, so I think out the, like Mike's right, yeah, we out the gate, people were gearing up and tooling up to kill those types of units. So, um, you know, that's where the sort of three blade lance is sort of shine shone a little bit, you know, knowing it can score fantastic secondaries. Um, but yeah, that, that's been good to see a codex still survive um, in both of them, really. So yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. And, and relatively untouched by any changes at all yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Yeah, that's a good clearly point. GW's done a good job with them. Um, yeah. I mean, I still think Imperial Knights are a bit overcooked, but yeah, yeah I fine. agree. Yeah. Yeah, the Imperial Knights might need. I played them in uh, two events ago, and the last major I went to, and they were um, very strong. Um, yeah. I mean, I have the they. I think maybe like you can put so many little knights out. Like he he had a, he had the mm. one big and a ton of littles list out, and yeah. had so there there was a lot of like his one big was giving out so many like buffs that were yeah. going to last the entire game. I was like, yeah. that's a lot. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, if if they can if if Imperial Knights if, if they can get through two turns of, of putting out buffs and get some momentum, mm -hmm. they're they're just a freight train. You're not going to stop. Yeah. So yeah, they 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 might need a little bit of a tweak. But the other thing I think the reason the Chaos Knights were strong coming out of the gate was they had those new Huntsman models, which are really cool. Mm -hmm. So that was just a I think a PR thing because they were the the Huntsman was a cool looking model and they functioned really cool because they were just real fast getting across the table at you. So. Yeah. Yeah, having little chain cannons, man, they could deal with chaff units and stuff. So yep. yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree, Dave. That's a really good point. Um, yeah, all right, and then um, the the things turned took a took a dark turn starting in in June when Chaos Knights or Chaos Space Marines came out. God, was that June? That was in June. It was the end of wow. was like the last week of June. Wow. Yeah. Uh, yeah, dude, the, the years are sort of steamrolled on and time just sort of flew in the last half of this year because, yeah. uh, chaos space Marines came out. I was looking up the, the dates of when all these things came out. Um, 
And then we had two months of us scrambling to try to do an episode uh, a week, which we never quite mm-hmm. finished doing a, each sub faction in the book because there was yeah. so many, the book is so deep and there's so many rules for each individual fa- sub faction. Yeah. It was just a monster. People, I, th- I, I kind of feel it's, I'm kind of bummed that creations of people hit creations of bile and to a lesser degree, emperor's children. And they have stopped tapping the rest of that book. Mm-hmm. I mean, Yes, Abaddon is just omnipresent in anything, any list that has the word chaos in it, yeah. Abaddon's going to show up, which I think needs to be addressed too. Um, but then you had um, Emperor's Children was really good. Uh, Creations of Bile, which I haven't faced yet, but I've heard you know a lot of people talk about it. A lot of, in our group chat, a lot of guys have talked I about it. I played them six times over the course of two months or just under two months like yeah. at events. Yeah, which is and- a pretty high percentage. Yeah, kind exactly. of incredibly unlikely. Um, yeah, that was with Night Lords. Um, yeah, but, and then yeah. and then no, there's no like you're the only person I know that has played Night Lords um, competitively. Um, then Iron Warriors, n- n- who are you? Never heard of you. Move on. Um, Black Legion had a little bit of a smattering of an appearance in the early days yeah. of the Codex. Um, nobody really played World Eaters out of the Chaos Breen book because they know that the world leaders codex is coming so you have all these world leaders players a couple of which are, are good friends of mine locally mm. um there are just like every little scrap of information comes out they're losing their yeah. minds for it so they're they're kind of they're they're playing their world leaders that they've always played but the chaos marine book didn't really change their play style or help them in no. any way and so you had all these but you had these other sub factions um uh, who was the red corsairs had a very brief moment in the sun when mm-hmm. Matt Laura took them. But other than that, everybody just sort of zoned in on creations of bile and to lesser yeah. for children. It's just sort of hung there. The thing is both the, um, the creations of bile are for some armies, just impossible to deal with uh, because of the fire and death. And when I was really hoping that they would have got the same treatment as dark Harlequins got. So, you know, when a model dies or something on a four up, it does a mortal wound. I was really hoping to see that um, because that would have just allowed some armies to actually play into it. I remember when I was in the final of a GT um, and I was using my Blood Angels against um, Creations of Bile and I had to play a flawless game, an absolutely flawless game. And I really felt like I put in a good showing at that event. Um, and even in that final game, there's nothing I could do. Like, you know, it was a real uphill struggle because every combat I go into, I die in return. Yet when my opponent charges and kills something in their combat phase, I'm unable to actually fight back. So you're always sort of trading, um, you know, two units for one. Um, so that was really where the creatures of bile, it, to some degree, were just so strong. We say were. They haven't been changed at all, Steve. So. They're, still they're an attrition game. They're an attrition game that you literally mathematically cannot win. Literally, no changes for them yeah. at all. So. What I mean is that I would say they became less popular when certainly mm. Tau became more prevalent. Certainly in the UK yeah. scene, anyway, because of the terrain layouts um, and just how fast Tau are able to touch ruins and open them up to you know remove the obscuring. They were really able to absolutely decimate creations of bile. So they kind of that's what I mean. They kind of were prevalent yeah. but then because of tau sort of rose i would say in the last few months here uh, along with um obviously now flamers and zinch with the more 
yeah, and Votan to some degree. I think, you know, we're starting to see some more Votan lists come out um, and, you know, get to the tables. Yeah, we're starting to see a slightly a slight shift there because it's yeah. a bit more an arms race for, for shooting in Creations of Bar kind of fallen out of that uh, level of popularity where maybe in, you know, go back to June, combat was kind of in, you know, it was called Ever Combat Army. Yeah, the game was very, ninth edition for the most part has been a very combat oriented edition it's been very combat centric except in those moments when a shooting based army and lighter terrain became the order of the day for a little while and then things would that's when shooting armies would get the up like admac last year yeah was dominating and then this year tau well we had last year we had orcs um orcs were a great shooting army admac were a great shooting army yeah and then the um the Void Weavers, the Harlequins Light were a shooting army, obviously Tau. Um, and then we had Hail of, Hail, Hail of Doom and then Ignore's Cover was a shooting army, primarily with one unit of Banshees in um, and Baharoff. Then we had Nids. And I think because of Nids, because of the warrior spam, the, you know, the transhuman on them, they were really prevalent. And you had to take some combat units to kind of deal with them because you needed to stop them using their minus one damage um in you know so many phases and a great way of dealing with the nids is killing them in combat rather than trying to stand back and shoot them so that was kind of what i think forced around the dune time a very combat heavy meta to deal with leviathan nids but then obviously knights as well i think yeah because they don't get an inbun against combat attacks so in essence the meta shift to some degree to allow combat armies to thrive and then you chuck in an army like Creations of Bio when people go, well, I can't take combat now. Because if I, and I certainly felt like that after playing against that army, I knew that Leviathan Nids was a super hard matchup for Blood Angels. Chaos in, in general was a hard game. Creations of Bio was near on impossible. So it was one of those, and I think we did this in, a, in the LGT prep episode that we did, um, mm-hmm. that I just spoke about, hey, if I play it, I lose it. And that's just the mindset I need to have when I'm going to try to win best yeah. in faction. Um, you know, it was like when we went to, you know, BAO, I took the Blood Angels and I just wanted to win Renaissance Man. That was the only award I really wanted to win in Best Blood Angels. Um, so, you know, I think you, now you really have to be quite strategic in the things that you go for um, and the awards that you want to win if, if that's how you're driven. Um, so I certainly like to have other goals rather than just kind of win the event. I'd rather yeah. do well with a particular army, particular faction, particular list. Um, so yeah, I think often NIDS actually this year has really shaped the meta to some degree. And then we had the balance update around, must've been like, was it July? It must've been July, August, right? The yeah. balance update. Yeah. We had one in July. And if that was the one in which got rid of, I don't know if that was the one, if that was the one that got rid of transhuman on NIDS or not, I can't remember, but that was quite a big game changer. In which no, is that was the one in there. October. Okay. Yeah, October. That was really late this year, wasn't it? Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, maybe that's why we've been in a real shoot shooting kind of meta since. Yeah, July I think was all about the having the Hive Tyrant alive, like your Warlord alive to have your imperatives. That was it, uh, yeah, and that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So, and then the uh, obviously the Chaos Freight Train rolled on in what seems like eight months ago, but it was actually. September, mm. so three months ago, when demons dropped, yeah, yeah, and I again, this is another faction where I, the, the, actually this one in particular, I'm surprised with how 
the flames of flamers just everybody got stuck on flamers and there's a wealth of coolness in that book does anybody even know what a slanesh army looks like because i haven't seen one yet but there when we were doing the review on the book mike i was like how are people not going to lean into slanesh because it's so fast and because yeah. It, it has the speed to deal with a shooting army. It's a melee-based army, but it has the speed to deal with it to get in fast into a shooting army, but also mm -hmm. the power to deal with other melee armies. Like It seems like it's a really good sub-faction. And if yeah. I was going to play demons, I would lean into Slanesh. Not because I have a BDSM thing, but because they are really fast. So Sorry, did you just admit to having a BDSM thing? No, I said I, I don't. I, I didn't admit that out loud. Okay, right. Hey, if you do that, there's no judgment from me, mate. I oh, absolutely. Good. You know, you yeah. do you. I understand. Um, I appreciate the welcomeness here. <laughs> yeah. So the demons that was that was very interesting. I think what basically happened is is people saw those flamers, and they were like, "Oh, it'd be stupid to take an army without flamers in it," and then just didn't bother. And I think it's also a good a good good stage to say with you know CSM rocking out with all of their legions, and of course demons with all of their god focused things. There's a lot of players that have this fanaticism and they always stick to one of these armies because they absolutely love them uh, and it's a diehard thing and i just want to shout out look you keep going we love you guys i think it's awesome that you stick to this army you're so passionate about and you always look forward to a new book uh, and then play the hell out of this unit this 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 faction i think it's awesome um and yeah keep doing it um because it's 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 great for the hobby and the community yeah and i also around this time of the year because uh, I'm just trying to think about all the things that v happened at VT during this kind of codex. It's like we're not doing this by month; we're doing this by codex release. Um, <laughs> so we, at this time, um, Nicole that worked with us uh, for I think she was with me for, for about six months before you joined Michael mm -hmm. um, full time. And uh, Nicole was has been absolutely brilliant. And in this time, yeah. um, I think it was around September. Uh, Nicole moved on to follow her dreams as to what she wanted to do. Um, and I just want to say, Nicole, maybe you are listening, maybe you're not. A massive thank you to all the hard work you put in this year with us, putting up with me yeah. and Michael in, and obviously Seb. Seb joined us as well uh, just before this time. Um, so again, Nicole, thank you so much for the hard work. It really means a yeah, lot to you, us. Nicole. And VT wouldn't be what it was without you. So thank you. Oh, uh, yeah. Sorry, I had to uh, put my floggers away. Um, all right, so then after uh, Chaos Demons and uh, um, the next one that came out that everybody was losing their minds about, especially because we started having an issue with leaks around this time, but we'll, we're going to talk about that later. Um, the the We had the, the Leagues of Votan came out, and obviously they came out with an immediate points update. Did you say the leaks of Votan? Yes, the leaks of Votan yeah. came out, and and because of the leaks... Everybody online, Reddit was having such a collective stroke about it um, that GW felt the need to uh, to issue points updates day negative one. Yeah. And, you know, units hadn't even hit the table yet. We hadn't even, they had not been at a single event. Models for units hadn't even been released yet and would not, in fact, be released for another month and a half after this. But points were adjusted anyway. In the, one of the largest knee-jerk reactions in the history of history. Um, and then meanwhile, and then, you know, everybody finally got their codex and started getting their units. And then everybody jumped on the Amir conglomerate bandwagon and it has not changed since. I, 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 
I keep looking when at local events. I have I literally have gone through the in the last two months. I've gone through um, all the major GTs and, and and larger events in my southeast U.S. area. Not a single leagues of OTAN list has been played that is not a nearly identical Amir conglomerate list. Nobody plays Greater Thurian League. Nobody's playing Cronus. Nobody's playing anything else. Well, it's interesting you say that, Dave, because I actually believe there's a couple of events that were actually won by Cronus Hegemony Votan. And I think there might be more events won by Cronus Hegemony than by Ymir Conglomerate, although obviously the proportion of players taking specific, you know, Ymir's probably far more, as you say, far more popular um, than Cronus. But people have actually won events with Cronus Hegemony. Oh, see, um, I haven't, th- that must be in the UK because I haven't seen any, there's none at least in the US that I've, that I've been able to find. Yeah, it might have been, but we haven't seen any of the other ones at all. Yeah. The um the thing with the Votan, which kind of annoyed me at, at the beginning stage of uh, when the leaks were coming out and people were essentially up in arms about uh, OP and the rest of it, right? We had the same with when Mortarium was leaked. Everybody lost their minds when Morty came out. Everybody lost their minds when the Hammerhead was reviewed. And I think often what we need to do is step back let the data show uh, the, the book struggles to score secondaries. Um, it is a very powerful but hard scoring army. Um, you know, like we said, a lot of the models weren't out yet. And although I don't necessarily disagree with the changes that happened with the Votan, um, and, you know, I really don't. Obviously, there's, you know, some level of, you know, input that, you know, we get to have, which is great. Um, you know, and we can help as much as we can have an idea of what balance might look like in the game of 40k uh, and sort of share our views with Games Workshop. But I think it would have been nice just to see where they settled a little bit before changes were made. Um, you know, it, it's clear to say that, yeah, the land fortress is very strong. Um, you know, we're seeing a lot of double land fortress and, you know, is it Yamin? You get a four up invulnerable save on it all of a sudden. That's the one. You know, yeah. can you get it to toughness nine with a different type of one? That you know, that that's super strong. The berserkers fighting on death. There we go. A bit of a theme there. Uh, really, really strong again. So yeah, I don't necessarily disagree with the changes that happen in the points changes. Um, but it would have been nice to see where things shook out a little bit first. Did they need the whole thing changed? Because obviously, there's some rules in that book that 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 don't don't trigger. If you have a judgment token, mm-hmm. so it's slightly counterintuitive, uh, which I can kind of get people's frustrations about, yeah, hundred percent. And I don't know whether that would make too much of a significant difference at the tabletop, uh, whether that would, you know, be different between win and losses if a six um, to hit counters a six to wound. I don't know because we haven't seen the rail rifles and the magna rails. We've only seen yeah. beams. We're in a yeah. beam, you know, it's kind of like a very one-dimensional book now. We don't have the broad yeah. spectrum of balance. And maybe the depth the book could have, um, you know, we're not seeing a huge amount of thunderkin hit the tables. So, you know, the, the the heavy weapon dudes. So I think it would be nice to see, or what if if we can relax a little bit, um, mm. and as a community have a bit more of a balanced approach to the way we react to certain things. Yeah. So I actually think that the huge amount of pressure that was put on GW from the online platforms, etc., for the the Votan leaks, is what forced them to, you know, issue this balance update without having a much more longer um, look at it and think how can we make the book still work and, and feel like it should do with like the ancestors are watching 
uh, and the sixes counting as unmodified sixes. But because they didn't have the time to really think about how they could keep the book as it should be and just make tweaks that, that stop it being overpowered, because of all this pressure, they've ended up having to do what they've done. And that's led to people obviously complaining about how some of their rules now long, no longer work because of this, this sixes triggers. So yeah. I, I totally agree. If we could be a bit more uh, civil about the uh, about releases, um, then we could but, see GW have time to really prep a solution that works for everybody for some of these factions. Yeah. Well, and that's and that's why you know when when they just to go back in time again a little bit. Remember, this is and we'll talk about this in a second. The, this is the first year that the balanced data slate became a thing, and this that's a brand new concept. And remember, they did that poll online. Do you want an update every month, every quarterly, every six months? And I voted for quarterly. Unfortunately, that's you know, the, fortunately or unfortunately, depending on your your point of view. But they ended up going with quarterly. My thinking was three months is a good period of time where you're not having too much time has gone by. You don't have the Crusher Stampede or something similar, just re- Leviathan Nids or whatever, just wrecking face for half the year and making every giving everybody constant feel bads before a single set of tweaks comes out. But doing it monthly is too fast because you don't have data. You don't have enough information. I think that's where, and I understand, you know, I'm hoping in the next, it's just for our our society in general, everybody's so reactive to this small, comparatively small group of really loud, obnoxious assholes online. The, the war on over Twitter is, is the ideal example of what's going on is how much freedom, how little freedom, what's going on, blah, 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 blah. Who cares? It's Twitter is a bunch of people screaming into the void. I'm not even on Twitter. Most people I know I know aren't even on Twitter because it's just a bunch of, it's a small group of people screaming into the void. But meanwhile, you have a lot of people in high positions thinking that they are the voice of the masses. Reddit is yeah. similar. Everybody screams into Reddit thinking that their opinion matters. And the problem is, is that corporations, and in this case, GW, give think that this screaming mini minority is actually representative of the majority and it's not. So this was an overstep, I think by GW. I know I'm, I have confidence that they're going to tweak and adjust and dial things back. I'm hoping my hearth guard will come back down from the obnoxious points re- increase that they suffered. But you know, I think they're yeah. way overpriced now, but you know, yeah, I agree. When I look, when I look at that book, it's not the hearth guard that I look at to be something that I would necessarily take. Um, but I think for me, the, I understand exactly why Games Workshop did what they did. Um, and, you know, I'm not going to lie. There was a few concerns I had with that book when I initially saw it, uh, but not necessarily for the same reasons that others did. Um, and I do try and look at everything because when we look at balance, right, there's a few different factors. First of all is the rules, the rules of the units in that book. Then there's the rules of the game and how those rules in the book and the stat lines interact with the rules of the game. Harlequins being a fantastic example of that. When you've got an army that doesn't really worry about the rules of the game, then obviously they're quite powerful. They can advance and charge. They can fall back and charge. All the you know basic rules that we're used to, they just go, hey, we don't care about these. We've got our own tanks. Um, so we've got <laughs> yeah. we've got the statistics of the units. We've got the rules of the game. We've then got terrain layouts and terrain rules. Okay, We've then got the mission. We've then got secondaries. And then we've got the points. Just like five different things when you don't even consider the player skill and the general at the tabletop, you know, that needs to be balanced. So I always try and look at those five points of that star or whatever it is to go, Hey, how well it may, yeah, it might be, let's say we rank it and we go, cool beam weapons or, you know, the Magna rail rifle, 
you know, how strong is that? Well, maybe that's a five out of five. Maybe that's really strong. Yeah. But then we look at the other play. Okay. Mission play. Well, actually on the mission, it's not great. Maybe it's like, um, you know, it's quite slow and he moves five inches. Um, maybe it's a two. Yeah. Maybe let's look at their secondaries and how hard they are to score. Well, they're kind of like a win-win more situation with secondaries. You know, there's a couple of preferable matchups. If their opponent doesn't have a psyker and they can take a psychic secondary, then potentially they might be a two. But actually, in terms of secondaries compared to a lot of other factions like Necrons, Necrons would probably be a five, right? Five out of five for their secondary play. Sisters would yeah. be like a four out of five. Knights would probably be a four out of five. So, yeah. okay, if you start to give this entire army over those five points a, you know, point score, where does it come out? So, Again, we can start to be a little bit more balanced in our approach, but the unfortunate thing is content creators, in which is why we in you know we obviously talk about this a lot, um, there is some sort of influence that as content creators we can have an impact on people's lives, but there's a lot of content creators that unfortunately create an echo chamber. You know, they hear X, Y, or Z talk about it and how it's broken. And therefore, they say the same thing to their friends. They share the opinion of somebody they perceive to be in the know or uh, knowledgeable on the topic because um, they want to have the voice that's heard in you know, the one that they want to be seen to be repeating. Well, actually, you know, I really want to encourage people to think for themselves and take a step back, take a minute, take a breath, um, and, and look at things with a much more balanced viewpoint. And I think the game would be um, not necessarily a game because actually the game's great. You know, ninth edition has been awesome. It really has. Um, you know, the, the codexes that have come out, you know, with a few tweaks and balances have been awesome. The game's more varied than it's ever been before. Um, yeah. I'm actually worried about the community. I'm really worried about the community. And it's something in which I really want to change moving into, you know, 2023 is how do we create a more positive culture uh, for our community? Because the community is everything, but there are a lot of people that I certainly see on the interwebs um you know i've you know had an experience this morning you know with a lot of different people um with some very strong views um and again take a step back let's take a minute and let's really see what's significant to this game um so we can create a more positive atmosphere and remove the toxicity from it and it'd be a lot more yeah. welcoming for many and you just enjoy it more yeah yeah, have to agree. I think Games Workshop has, um, uh, you know, sort of nailed the year in terms of releasing so much content. Eleven codexes, um, balanced data slates they've held to releasing quarterly, um, all of this stuff. And, and you know, we shouldn't be taking this for, for granted. And I think that you know there is a sort of sense of I know it's used a lot these days entitlement um, that seems to have come about from eighth edition, seventh edition. People were just like, oh yeah, this is powerful get over it it's part of the game things are powerful sometimes and then they have their time in the sun um but now we're expecting if a powerful book drops there's uproar uh, and there never used to be that there was always the expectation that something would be dealt with um but we've gotten faster at dealing it with it with the balanced update updates and now people keep wanting more and faster um faster changes as soon as they see something that might be an issue uh, and that's obviously led to what happened with the voter I remember when, um, you know, there wasn't changes, there, you know, and we'd be stuck with, I remember the Caladius Custode, um, was it the Caladius? That grass yeah, tank one, yeah. was like ridiculous for ages and you're like, oh, you've got those or, 
there was a you know, and that wasn't even that long ago where Castellan with a three plus yeah. vulnerable save, if anybody remembers that era. You know, and that's exactly it. And I think the game is better than it's ever been. I know how hard yeah. the guys uh at the studio team work and they're relentless. Um so I just want to say a massive thank you to all the hard work that they've done this year. Um because it's been, you know, unreal. Absolutely unreal the amount of work that in care in you know, passion they've really put into their, you know, profession. So, um, you know, from a competitive gamer, I just want to say a massive thank you to them. Also want to say a yeah. huge thank you to all the tournament organizers as well. Um, you know, people who like, you know, obviously FLG really set the standard, uh, kicker, Reese, Frankie do an incredible job. Um, you know, Zach here in the UK does amazing Tom Adriani and Neil Kerr who, who run the WTC you know, they're really spearheading things, um, you know, and now obviously with the Games Workshop, open events, uh, Ryan and Mike who run those, they're doing a great job. And it's great to see all these huge events now. The game is more and more popular from a competitive standard. More and more people are playing the game. Um, and like I said, it's just time now that we as a community leave our baggage behind. We throw down the, these kind of ideas of, oh, Codex creeping, oh, Games Workshop just want to, sell new models um you know it's you know never did i get a thing oh steve yeah we really need this unit to be overpowered because it's a new model never was that a brief with <laughs> when looking at anything right do you know what i mean like otherwise do you remember when um paragon war suits came out you know you would expect them to be op crazy good right they were a brand new model no nobody even took them i think i had three and everyone was like why you got those um you know, we had the same with the um, the Lancer. The Lancer. Can, do you, have you ever seen a Lancer on the tabletop? I bet many people at oh, home what? are like, what's a Lancer? Yeah, I'm not talking about a knight. I'm talking about a uh, gladiator, gladiator Lancer. This like the mini repulsor. Oh. Exactly, Dave. I thought you that didn't was even know what it was. The Star Strider thing you were talking about. No, you didn't even yeah. know. <laughs> so it's not like when that came out, we're like, right, we need to make these, you know, hot. Um, no, that's really not the case. Um, so. Again, we, we need to think about a much longer term approach um, for all of us going into next year. Mm. Um, and I think we'd just end up in a much more positive place if we did so. Yeah. yeah. And I think out, out of the... Sorry, go, go ahead, Dave. Oh, I was just saying, I think, I think part of that also, though, is, is the, there's a pressure to when your rules come out, when, you, when your codex gets to a good place, to be able to have time to play it because there's this looming specter of, and it doesn't, this also goes to the leaks thing of, oh, 10th edition's coming and everything's going to get thrown out the window and all the hard work you've put in learning 9th edition is just going to get scrapped. And so a lot of people get impatient. They're like, hurry up, get her. I want my stuff to be good because I only have six months to play it. Or I only have nine months to play it. I mean, Astromel Terms is only, you know, going to get three months with their codex and, and w after tweaks and world leaders are only going to have four months to, to play with their stuff, you know, their, their codex before it all gets scrapped and 10th edition shows up in June. Nobody said that. It's all leaks. Calm down. 10th edition may or may not show up. It may never show up. GW hasn't said squat about it. Sorry, I shouldn't say squat. That's a racial slur against Votan. But, um, yeah. uh, but the you know everybody needs to calm down and relax about tenth edition. You're gonna get to play your with your toys. There's gonna be a new edition at some point in the future. That's always gonna happen, right? Right. Um, the timeline we don't know it, but you may as well get your time in with your book and even you know just enjoy the moment. I think you know leaving all of maybe some of the negative and toxicity that we've talked about. Uh, already behind this year 
a brand new faction got introduced to Warhammer 40k. Yeah. From the long dead past, a brand new range of beautiful miniatures, an awesome aesthetic. Um, and I think that really got outshone by the toxic reaction to the book. Um, but Games Workshop have released a brand new faction. Um, and even with like, I think 12 data sheets, 12 new sets of models that look fantastic. And, and we really need to appreciate um, how incredible that is that, that this game that has been going on nine editions is still receiving brand new factions as a whole right i think that's fantastic we've got world eaters right i know it's not a new faction but it's the first time ever they're yeah. getting their own book their primarchs coming back i mean that's incredible yeah. the the sculpts i can tell you are phenomenal um and you know that's hopefully around the corner again we don't know yeah. and it, it, you know like dave said about all the rumors of things of um, everything that people have spoke about in a lot of content creators, again, I see speak about rumors. They talk about leaks. They share this stuff for quick likes um, to make their quick fill of, oh, this will happen with 10th, 11th, 12th edition, whatever. Um, you know, and again, it's just one of those things that creates this kind of spiral that we can often find ourselves in, in, in rather than just enjoying the game that we all play. Um, mm -hmm. you know, if, if we all, any of us, we share this incredible thing in common that we love this really nerdy miniature game where we try and, you know, challenge each other, a strategic way to create a puzzle and a challenge for each other. But, um, yeah, I, I really do hope that, you know, people can next year. And that's kind of what I want from 2023 is a better community. Uh, one that's a, just so much more positive, um, for ones that can really enjoy the army I mean, I've been a bit outspoken this year on a few different topics. You know, I've had a few ideas that I would love to see come into play. Um, I know I've spoke about it in our group. I've sp I've said it publicly um, because I'm. I would love to, you know, keep pushing the boundaries of you know what sportsmanship and fair play really looks like. Um, and actually, I think I, I put a, a comment in our group, in our podcast group, right? And we've got a rule, and it's you're not allowed to talk about leaks or rumors because we, you know, believe it's a negative thing for the community. Um, and there was a lot of talk about that recently um, with a certain Reddit post or a certain live stream that happened uh, Four people or whatever it was were talking about rumors, whether they were made up, best guesses, real, fake, who knows about the up and coming balance update that Games Workshop have spoke about with, you know, Arcs of Omen and everything else they spoke about with the detachment they've already shown off and previewed. Um, you know, the community was an uproar, absolutely an uproar about it. And I put a comment in our group to say, look, I really appreciate you all because not one of you spoke about it. And for many of them have commented and said, yeah, we're not interested. We just, we want to wait and see, you know, your take on it when, when the time comes, you know, so when us three can sit down and really go through everything, when we get it from Games Workshop and when we're allowed to talk about it, yeah, we're going to give you the hot takes. We're going to tell you everything you need to know. We're going to give you exactly what it is, the intent, the way it should be, you know, for example, you know, how it should influence your list decision, how it should help you prepare for tournaments and all that good stuff. We've got you covered. Um, but when you're looking at things in like a snapshot and you're not looking at everything together, as we spoke about before, it is just going to create a lot of hostile, you know, hostile behavior. Um, you know, I've had people trying to call me out already today about having an unfair advantage um, because I get to preview rules before other people do. 
I mean, ridiculous. I'm not saying that yeah. to any degree that it's it's not some sort of advantage. Of course, if you get a book for an extra day, yeah, there's a slight advantage there. Does it make a difference at the tabletop? No, it really doesn't. When I did a bodybuilding competition, you know, let's say somebody said, you know what, Steve, you can have an extra week of prep to get in, you know, diet down for the show. Would it have made a difference? No, none. Because this is the 10 years before of being in the gym five, six days a week getting the cardio done, you know, eating the right diet, getting enough sleep. That's what makes the difference to anything. Not that last week or two weeks even. That's just like a, a micro spec in what makes you a strategic 40K player, right? It really, really doesn't matter. Like me and Michael, we've started learning AOS. How much crossover is there, Mike, between what we've taken from 40K into Age of Sigma, the way that I've been building lists in the game that we had the other day, right? It's yeah. just, there's so much crossover and what makes you there a great is. general makes you a great general. And we've literally just looking at these rules for the first ever time, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's it's a board game um, and it's a tactical war game. All the experience you have, you can carry over to um, making all your decisions at the table. Uh, the rules are always going to be in flux. Uh, it's your natural skills, your ideas about deployment, game plan, um, objectives, how your army functions as a whole. None of that will ever change, um, and it's that that we that we work work with day in day out uh, when we go to all these events. And you can do exactly the same, and then you just have to adapt a little with some of the new stuff. But it's not the uh, be all and end all. Dave, I'm going to put you in the hot seat. What do you think? Do you think I gain an unfair advantage because I see things before other people do? No. As someone no, that yes. obviously you are, you you don't get things early, right? So you sit on the other side of the fence, right? I don't, I don't get preview stuff, and uh, I mean, knowing you guys as long as I have now, I've you know I was part of the academy. I've been in the academy for over two years, and um, I've been friends with you guys for over a year. Um, I, I don't see how you would get any sort of advantage. I mean, the game is the game is the game. I've been playing forty k since nineteen ninety five. I mean, for God's sake, Steve was in diapers. So I should be, I should have the the, the greatest advantage because I've been technically playing the game longer than both of you. But that doesn't, uh, but I'm no great champion. I haven't won an event ever, um, but I keep playing the game and and knowing the game. And it's like you said, Mike, it's it's a board game. You have to understand the the rules, the basic rules. Those don't change. And it, knowing something, uh, seeing where the, the, maybe the new secondary pack is going to be and where the where they're going to specifically place the objectives and where the objective markers on the map that's not going to give you a big advantage whether it's an inch to the left an inch to the right or six inches further onto the table it's not going to dramatically change your performance on the table knowing that you know the stat line of a world eater berserker a week in advance is not going to allow you to come up with some grand strategy to outthink them when you deal with them at an event two weeks after the book drops like Calm down. This is, and that's exactly why every event, every good event you go to has a rules cutoff date too. So you can't, if you, somebody maybe gets a rules leak or something else comes out, you know, a week before the event, if the rules cutoff is two weeks prior, nobody's going to benefit from it anyway. So pump your brakes. Nobody's getting an unfair advantage by having a preview copy of anything. Yeah. So I I will add from, from um, the perspective of seeing some of this stuff, like, Maybe there's like a very tiny advantage in knowing maybe what some builds might look like 
or maybe knowing um, how much you can fit into an army or that kind of thing, right? But two weeks is not enough to get something painted realistically for an army. Two weeks is not really enough to practice anything. Um, you know, we are content creators. We've got to plan all of the content when things do release. We don't really have time to prepare for all of this stuff. And first and foremost, Vanguard Tactics is all about this fair play and sportsmanship. I would never ever look to abuse any sense of advantage or power I gained from having eyes in the future of the game because it's that's not what the game is about. Um, and I know that everybody else at Vanguard Tactics has that same view. Um, so whatever little advantage there might appear to be, um, I'm, I'm not interested. Um, I want to make sure that everybody knows what's happening as soon as they as soon as they can by planning the content that that will really help them. Well, it's what what you said a minute ago, Mike. Too is it comes down to practice. You don't have enough time to practice. If you're going to use this new codex when it drops, you're going to need time to practice with it. And an extra week is not enough practice time to make a big difference. You need weeks and months of reps with a list to get to make to be a, a top player to really get into the top ranks. And that's what yeah. we're talking about here. It, a week's advantage it's not going to help me very much because I don't get that many reps in. But even if I practiced, you know, three, four games a week, you know, that's not going to mean, that's not going to be the difference between me placing in 10th in an event or me placing in third. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't change the basic rules of the game. You know, the rule book is what the rule book is and those sort of fundamentals of charging, piling in, which model you wish to move, when you should take an armor save on what type of model, you know, how much, you know, threat you put out, when you should trade, when you should hang back, how KG you should play. None of that changes, right? Um, you know, I, I remember when we went to BAO again and I took Blood Angels. Did I have some sort of unfair advantage then? I was playing a book that was 18 months old, um, you know, and I went undefeated there. Brilliant. You know, that was absolutely, um, you know, paramount to just playing the game. And often, yeah, because I'm a content creator or whatever, I read the books, but with a two week cutoff of when the book has to be out, anybody could read the NIDS codex in two weeks and understand what questions to ask. Like on the workshop, we, we help people understand that they do not need to know and have read every single book. They need to know the yeah. questions to ask their opponents. So again, like Mike said, you can't build anything in and get it painted in two weeks. Realistically, um, you know, we've got a huge advantage at the studio where we basically have every army. Myself and Mike could swap armies every single week when the latest hotness comes out. If we want to run, you know, Hala Doom Eldar when it came out, we could have done it. We could have run the the 18 Flamer list with T-Suns. We could have done it. We could have took yeah. Leviathan Nids. We, we could have took nine Void Weavers. All those things were a potential that we could have done, but we chose not to. Um, and I think many content creators sit in that same boat I know me and Mike are going to be working. I'm sorry to say this, Mike, if you didn't know, but we're going to be working our asses off for the next two weeks to get all of the content filmed and ready so Seb can edit for eight days when we're not at the studio and ensure yeah. that we're keeping up with our content schedule. Um, yeah. You know, there's so much that we've got in the pipeline. Um, and I cannot wait for 2023. I really can't. So, uh, anyway. Yeah. I just wanted to also add, right. Um, so, you've given us some perfect examples. Void weavers were broken. Did any of us content creators think that void weavers were broken from the get go? Did we start taking them to events? Like, no. Imperial Knights is the perfect example. We read the book. We had preview access. 
did we take Freeblade Lance anywhere? Did we even read Freeblade Lance? No. We just simply didn't have time to absorb the information and come up with the best list as soon as the book dropped. And then months later, somebody else came up with that. Yeah, Mike, did you take Leviathan Nids, which were could in the Codex right out of the gate? Did you take those to BAO? No, you took Hydra. Yeah, I, I could have taken Leviathan Nids, but I, yeah, I mean, I'm just not interested. It's boring, isn't it? Right. But uh, as you say, exactly, yeah. We could come up with the most powerful combats, combos, but we don't have enough time to work them out, frankly. And, um, and the most powerful combos shake out later. I've had, I've had all year with Tau. I, I I started I picked up Tau the moment the Codex came out. I I already had most of the models. I have played that. I've repainted them, yeah. But other than that, I I don't think I bought any new new models all year. I have played all the way through. I have I so I have technically had at this point like I don't know nine months of practice with my Tau. Has it meant that I have won any event? No. And I am a good player. I know the rules, but I don't play a certain way. I don't try to blow my army, my opponent off the table by turn two so that, you know, I can then score freely whatever I want and call it a day. Like, I don't play that way. And it is, and also I don't, on the flip side, I also don't practice regularly. Like, there's over a thousand people going to LVO. Of those thousand people who are coming for the grand championship, what is essentially the Super Bowl of 40K, of those thousand people, how many of those people live in a house all together and do nothing but play 40K all day, every day, and have n- no other purpose in existence? Um, not many. Not many. You guys don't live in a house together playing 40K all day, every day. You guys have partners and homes and you have other lives. Like, yeah. holding yourself to that standard, too, is also, uh, you know, somewhat self defeating. So I think if you're wonder- wondering why maybe. You, if you as a as a regular forty normal forty k player, which is ninety nine point nine percent of us, your skill is somewhere in the middle. Yeah, being in the academy gives you a leg up. That's why I joined because it just it accelerated my learning and understanding. It gives you different perspectives on the rules, but it's up to you to apply it. Build a list that's and apply it. Build a list that's going to work for you for the way you think, for the way you perceive the game that interacts with the rules correctly and then get practice so that you can think of, oh, I should have used this stratagem. I need to use this strat or I need to remember to use this command phase ability or whatever or I need to remember to heroically intervene with this unit that can do six instead of three or whatever. Like that's on you. It it is all, all the responsibility ends up on you. Whether you, Steve, and you, Mike, get an extra week with a book before it releases is not going to utterly change how anybody else functions and it's not going to give you any other magical abilities to to beat somebody at the tabletop. I think some of the you know comments people have said is, hey, don't use anything that new that comes out from Games Workshop. So before, obviously, LVO, right? So does that mean that we want to... Can you imagine if there's like a six-week cutoff and it week five and a half, everything gets dropped from Games Workshop. And they're like, oh, this is really cool new missions and secondaries. And this really cool balance update fixes, you know, these problems that we've seen. Or are we going to carry on going, oh, well, I've got another six weeks of Crusher Stampede. Do you know what? Actually, I'd rather use the new things. So again, do we want to be playing like, when you when you hear about what's happening and it's officially released, nobody wants to play the old things, right? Because it's old. You want to play the latest, the new, the... The up to date, um, you know, when you get an update 
on a computer game, you don't go, ah, do you know, I won't up- install the update because I prefer the original one. No, you want to just play the most recent up-to-date thing, don't you? It's, it's natural to want to do that. So again, we can't have ridiculously, le- you know, huge lead times of cut rules cutoffs. Two weeks is fine for a majority of people. It was for me when I was a, uh, you know, go back a few years before 40k become my profession. Um, you know, it was fine, and I wanted to, you know, get out of the groove of what we were doing. I wanted to see what the new thing and new challenges would look like um, because I wasn't that fussed about winning. I wasn't, you know, it's not something that determines my me as a person whether I win a 40k competition or not. Um, so again, it it all comes down to just us playing some awesome games with the latest rules that are put out by Games Workshop. Um, but I don't know, what do people want? Me to go, actually, yeah, I got an extra week or something with the balance update. I tell you what, that non-refundable flight, I'll cancel it. Uh, you know that hotel we're all staying in? Yeah, I won't bother with that. No, um, I just won't go, I won't play. Um, you know how... It's not FLG's fault. They've got a two-week cutoff. Everybody knew that before they bought the ticket. And it's not Games Workshop's fault for having previewers. Well, Steve, I think I think the answer is that we, we both have to go and play Age of Sigma because we're not allowed to play 40k. But do we get an unfair advantage of that now? <laughs> <laughs> no, because the main rulebook's been out for, uh, you know, wherever you just... Uh... But we, mate, we know well, and and the general, the entire apparently the entire general's handbook uh, for Age of Sigmar, the newest one, just got leaked on Reddit the other day. So you know everybody's got access to that. So you're fine now. You're covered. But you know we've we've just become previewers for Age of Sigma, which is a massive thing for us this year. Um, we're super excited about bringing Age of Sigma to uh, Vanguard Tactics in 2023. So uh, yeah, we've got some awesome things lined up. By the way, we really have. So um, Dave, I also want to say a massive thank you to you. You've been awesome this year. You, you've you've hosted this podcast terribly. Everybody clearly hates you. Yeah, and um, atrocious. I muddle through every every week. If only you didn't hate Americans so much. Yeah, stop hating on America, Dave. Um, you American. Yeah. Um, yeah. But honestly, Dave, you've done a wonderful <laughs> job this year. You've you've made sure the episodes have gone out on a timely basis. You've always come prepped and planned. I love but hate your intros. I never get them, but I know everyone else loves them. <laughs> Um, and Mike, you've been awesome to work with over the last year, mate. The loyalty you've shown us Likewise. since you joined. Um, you know, we've now been in our studio for a year. Um, even Mike, me and him and my parents decided to rewire the entire studio yesterday in our free time. We didn't have to, but we did. Um, in the Hold studios. on, I'm not getting paid. No, sorry, mate. Um, what? I know. <laughs> Shame. <laughs> uh, you don't get paid, Mike. <laughs> Tell, tell Mike, you can get paid when I get paid, all right? How's that for a deal? All right. Sounds good. Yeah, cool. Um, so, again, it's been awesome. We, we've worked with Harder and Steam back on some incredible projects year, this year. Um, it, that's been amazing working with them on their charitable project. We raised a huge amount of money for Movember because I grew a tash. Yep. We did an incredible thing with the um, uh, Pride stream that we did. I look back yep. and that was a huge highlight for me. Um, something that I was dreading at the time. I was so worried about it. Uh, but, you know, we raised a huge amount of money there for a fantastic cause. And I'm really proud that we did. I had about four days of just relentless trolling um, off the YouTubes, mm-hmm. uh, which was delightful. Yeah, delightful to... Um, was it uh, only four days? It seemed like two weeks. Oh, my God, it could yeah. have been. Um, I think I lost a few days in between. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of lot of whinging over the over the uh, the Pride Month uh, episode. Oh my god! What one guy Good I had? People. Get over it. One guy to debate with on there was oh my god! I was like, have you ever been to Panto? And then there was just What's no Panto? reply. Panto is something that we here have in the UK. 
a pantomime. Is it Christmas? You oh, never had okay. one? No. I don't know if they do pantomime over in, in the States. Oh, wow. You lot are missing out. Pantomime is awesome. It's like you're oh. kind of um, like you, you get to watch Aladdin, but in pantomime. Yeah. yeah it's like oh. a comedy sort of version of like a, a popular story. Yeah, like Cinderella or something. Uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. When they um, do it with John Wick, I'll watch. John Wick. <laughs> Can you imagine John Wick? He's behind you. Yeah, honestly. Um, all right, Dave. Well, next you need to Google a panto. I think um, Ian McKellen's uh, Ian McKellen's in one at the minute. Actually, um, you should no, check okay. out his Instagram. Um, it's awesome. You'll I will, see what I will Google it on, on a break from work today. You'll see his outfit. Um, but yeah, it's absolutely brilliant. So anyway, awesome. All right. Yeah. Uh, and then I guess uh, just to wrap up the Codex review for the year. Uh, that was it. No other codexes came out. Nothing else we care about. No new books. Sorry, Mike. But what about the guard? They're not out yet. I guess so. they're not out officially. Yeah. Um, well, we, 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 you, you got your filthy, dirty, m- maligned preview codex that you got when you got the box set. Well, you see, well, I've got such a big advantage. Yeah. I put the note in that Astro Militarum came out sort of, and and others. Yeah. You know, I mean, you, like, much like Votan, you got the book, but m- a lot of the models aren't out yet, so. Nobody's no. taking a Rogel Dorn tank, I don't think, to LVO. I do want to say another cracking job, Games Workshop, with those models. Like, I, I feel like this year they've really ramped up their, the way they've done their models uh, and, and all of their sculpting. Like, uh, when you look at the miniature of the year, the Avatar one miniature of the year for their, their open pole, and like yeah. that thing came out this year, and that is incredible. And obviously, you know, we had Siege paint ours, and it looks incredible. Um, but like Bellacore. Yeah, insane some of these models, and they're just getting started. Um, yeah, so yeah, yeah, guard. Their release was was incredible. Um, I keep saying that word because it's true. Uh, and then you look through the codex and all these models like Rough Riders and everything. They've really, um, yeah, they did a yeah. fantastic job. They really have um, the 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 entire Votan line. Amazing, yeah. absolutely, just incredible models. That that's the reason I got so excited to play Votan. I hadn't even seen the book yet. As soon as I saw the models, I was like. I'm all in on this. These guys look, they have a totally different aesthetic than anything else in 40 K. And I freaking yep. love it. Um, and the other thing we got to, we got to give GW some props. I know we're kind of running a little long today, but we got to give some props because this, this was the year that they instituted the quarterly balance updates. Mm-hmm. This is also the year that they changed the, we had in January, we had the points, the militarum, munitorum. Oh yeah. It went online. With all the points update. And then after that, they, they, dumped it and now they start this is the year they started to do it all in pdf so you get mm-hmm. points updates in a convenient pdf file for yep. free which is great yep. Yep. um Fantastic. so i you know props to gw for for getting with the times i mean like i said i've been playing 40k since 1995 and there i remember when there was an 800 number you had to call at certain times a day to get through to somebody because you had a rules question in second edition that something some interaction made no freaking sense um now we are at a point now where every three months almost like clockwork plus or minus um we get a balanced data slate that addresses all the major meta villains and some of the big losers and they've even shown the willingness to dial back when they when they do something um the the chicken walkers for admec lost core and then they got it back and um they they've 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 giveth and they have taken it away and i think it's great that gw has shown that fluidity 
um, and willingness to say, hey, we screwed this up. Well, let's fix it. We screwed this up. Let's fix it. Oh, hey, maybe we overcorrected. Let's fix it. Yeah, or it might not even necessarily be necessarily a screw up. It might just be where it currently sits in the meta in that present time. Also true. Yes. You know, or maybe even governed by the player base and its popularity of who is playing those things. Because yeah. often, uh, you know, if you look at something like Yanari, have a fantastic win percentage because it's often played by a very small group of highly skilled players that can sometimes skew the win percentage. So it's not even Ben Jones and that, three other people. Yeah, it's not even like they necessarily <laughs> made a mistake or it was a screw up. Maybe it was right the whole time. And actually, if you look at Admech, perhaps it was, but it was just in the wrong moment now. Yeah. But it's it the right place where it can, you know, like you said, have those things rolled back. So. Again, I, you know, I want to say a huge thanks to Games Workshop. Thank you for allowing us to be a previewer, uh, yes. for letting us talk about all this content. Hopefully everybody at home has enjoyed the content that we've put out this year when we've got so much more planned for next year. Next year is going to be the year of content for VT in what we deliver. Um, so I'm really looking forward to that. And also a massive thank you to everybody at home that's listened, who's you know, written us a review, good or bad, who's slagged off Dave, me or Mike, whatever, or who, who's praised us. It, it's a, we love it. We wouldn't be here without you. So from, you know, the bottom of my heart, thank you so much to everybody back home that does listen, tune in and enjoy our content. Whether you join us on the live stream, listen to the podcast, subscribe to be a member, or maybe you're an academy student or you're coming to one of our workshops, or maybe you're yeah. just one of those people who come and say hello at an event um, to shake our hands or, you know, whatever. It's been awesome. And to yep. everybody that I've played this year, thank you for all the great games, even the bad ones. Okay, we shared a moment, and um, for and I'll always be uh, appreciative of that and the life that I have because of the 40k community. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And I, I got to also give a good shout out to, to 40k because without 40k, I wouldn't have you guys as friends. And I do legitimately call you guys friends, even though Ooh, Mike and I uh, haven't hung out in person stretch. yet. And Steve and I only got to hang out, hang out once so far and twice at this year's LVO. But hey, you know, this year we've got we've developed this friendship, uh, you know, across on the other side of the planet almost from each other. And this year we're all going to be sharing a house and in, in incredibly uh, close quarters um, in, in Vegas. And yeah, I'll be sharing uh, a bed with you, know, you Dave. Uh, you are. I'm not sure where my wife's going to be sleeping, but I, I already told her I'm snuggling Mike. Mm. So, but uh, no, it's the 40K has created a lot of good friendships and especially in a COVID and post COVID world, that's very important. So I think that's something else I got to, I got to give some credit to. Um, and then 2023, just a, a quick glance forward. We've got in the next month or two, give or take, just based on what GW said, we've got Arcs of Omen coming. We got another balanced data slate should be coming soon. We got points updates coming. DW's admitted all those things are coming in the next few weeks. And then, and that's just 2023 in the next four to six weeks or so. Yeah. That is legit. We got a lot more to come and, and nobody's yeah. mentioned 10th edition yet. So calm down with 10th edition. We've got, you know, World Eaters out at some point. They've already started talking about boarding actions on Warhammer community. Mm -hmm. Can't wait to get Mateev stuck into that. Oh, um, I'm so excited about that. I totally forgot about that. That's going to be awesome. We've got, um, obviously, as I just mentioned, we've now become previewers for AOS. So we're going to be doing a lot more Age of Sigma related content in the new year. Uh, myself and Mike are, you know, busily painting and learning as much as we possibly can about that game. We're already planning on doing some doubles events, aren't we? Yeah. Um, and, and some other stuff, although we're arguing about what army we're going to take. So it's all going to be awesome. Um, and before we probably go on any longer, massive thank you to all of our sponsors. It's been great. Yes. And what a wonderful year. Yeah, you guys are amazing. Yeah. 
I hope you all have an incredible new year. And and don't worry, guys. I I'm going to keep pressuring Steve to to let me start talking about Marvel Crisis Protocol more. Um. So also, uh, yeah, my James is a legend. James is a legend. In every one of these episodes, yeah, and um, for everything he's done for us as well. So and speaking uh, specifically of home, for James from Siege, yeah, thank yeah. you. Do you know I nearly made a really inappropriate joke earlier when you said I'm not sure where my wife's going to be sleeping. <laughs> I was like, hey, Amy I, listens I to this, so you watch your, watch where you go with that. Hey. <laughs> I'm not the most handsome man. You want to watch out for Jake. Oh, that's yep. true. There is the most He's handsome in the man. House. Okay. Yeah. And they Jake are the same in the house and, and they are the same height. So, you know, there's, there's probably wow. something there. So, um, probably is. yeah. So, uh, all right. But before <laughs> this gets any more awkward, uh, let's throw it over to, uh, James for a battle ready segment. All right, James, great to have you back for another battle ready segment. Uh, the question this week is painting camouflage. Obviously Imperial guard is out and, uh, you know, you, I know you love the Catachins, the Cadians as well. They're, you know, they've they're very they've got a lot of camouflage. They they don't they're not walking around in bright power armor saying aim here. So, uh, how would you go about putting on camouflage? I, th- I think that's a, a really good. Yeah, yeah, quite right. You know, they're not they're not super vibrant in their colors and things like that. Typically, camouflage is more drabber colors. You do get some high high contrast colors. Like um, I've seen sort of like some people do like orange and black before, whereby like they're on like a volcanic world or something like that. Um, first things first, camouflage is really important to, for, to you to understand that it's designed to break up the form and shape of, of an object, either a tank or, or, or an infantryman or whatever the case may be. So it, don't be constrained by the shape of the miniature. Um, you should put um, sort of patterns on there that, that do break up any sort of physical lines and things like that. For example, on tanks, um, it is designed to really, really sort of like make the eye not see the object as good as, as, as in, in the form that it is. Um, when that translates down to obviously infantry on the legs, the arms, the chest, armor, like the, the you often see in a lot of the old guard artwork in some of the older codexes, that the the sort of uh, the, the, the carapace armor that they have or any flak armor that they've got has got the pattern on it as well. It's really important that you understand that their equipment, you wouldn't have a fully camouflaged suit and then all the, all the, all of the webbing tends to tends to necessarily be like a an individual color. Sometimes that's also camouflage as well. Um, on the in the same respect, sometimes the the webbing and the webbing is a specific color. So use real life reference. I think one of the best ways to do it. And if you look if you look at Catachans or if you look at Acadians or if you look at some of the some of the guard uh, regiments, um, it, when when obviously against which have designed them, each of those regiments has been designed to stand out individually. So Acadians, Talon, Valhallans, Mordians, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, Real world camouflage typically has a similar sort of vibe across all the different fighting units from different different armies. If that makes sense, they have a very similar sort of thing because it's designed to break up that shape. So, pick schemes, pick colours that uh, that that change the that have high high tonal contrast because then that really make that it really aids in breaking up the shape. Typically, if you've got colours that are too close to each other, they become uniform and the shape is more visible. So you want but maybe like a dark and a and a, and a light. Um, mid, when it's doing camouflage, you've got the, obviously the main color of the miniature. I'd also, I'd pick a dark camouflage color and then a light camouflage color and just use your mid-tone as the joining part between it. So then that way it allows those two different alternating high contrast, um, tonal properties to be, to be, to be visual on the miniature, if you follow me. Um, there's like, there's other things to talk about as well. So obviously you've got stereotypical camouflage, which is just like wavy patterns and things like that. Are they fighting in an urban environment? Could it be digital camo? Could it be, uh, you know, could it be sort of um, more of a grayscaled camouflage because it's in an urban environment? Um, the other thing to bear in mind, which isn't necessarily camouflage, but it's also touching upon basing, 
is you wouldn't have camouflage on a model and then perhaps the basing be be uh, a, a different a different color if that makes sense you'd normally have the basing be very similar to the camouflage that's on the model um you'll find in some of the older guard codexes that they had like a regiment like a cadian regiment and it would show you like three or four different camouflage patterns that that regiment would would um would have uh, so understand that the war zone and environment and planet and the surroundings do determine what the camouflage may well look like on that miniature or on that regiment. So just there's a few things to take into mind. But if you're really uns- really unsure, Google images is your best thing. Just type in type in jungle camouflage or urban camouflage or or desert camouflage, and you'll find some really good inspiration. Like camouflage is a real thing that's used in our real world. It's not something that's only inherent to the 40k universe. So you should really look at things like that from the, from the real world and try and implement that in, in in your miniature painting, if that makes sense. Yeah. So, James, in terms of the technique you would use then, so imagine I want to go for like a digitally kind of print, as it were, and I yep. just want to do some cloaks or whatever. So we'll keep it pretty simple. Um, yep. Or let's, let's go with a tank. Let's say I want to get all my, my tanks camouflaged, nice big surface area to work with. Mm-hmm. Um, let's say I've got three colours. I've got like a light green, a dark green and like a mid-tone that we're going to mm-hmm. use for, let's say, on like the olive spectrum. Um, how would I go about kind of, I suppose, painting that that camouflage pattern? What would I start with? Would I start with the light color, the dark one? What would I do? I, I tend to start with mid-tone, purely because then that way, um, it, it's, it's really easy to add darkness to a light color. Um, and I'd always recommend in any painting that you start light and add darkness to suit rather than starting dark and then spending ages layering up thicker and thicker and thicker and thicker paint to get to the light that you want. Um, get it light or as, as bright as you can first. Um, but for camouflage, I normally start with a mid-tone because then that way it gives me the scope left and right of that to then increase the, the vibrancy in some areas and, and darken it in some areas and you can really break it up. I'll normally go mid-tone first. Um, if I'm doing like blue tacking on tanks where i'll put like bands or whatever across there or if i'm getting any of those sort of like stick on stencils that you can get or whatever i'll always start mid-tone spray put, put the put the the thing that's going to block uh, that's going to hide that portion of the color on the on the vehicle spray the darker color on reapply the, the blocking material whatever it is and then do the light on top of that as well that's kind of how i approach it and it's the same with with, with like trousers and uniforms and things like that i start mid-tone I'll add the light or the dark on, and then the irrespective, and then the the other end of the spectrum will be the third thing that I put on. If you follow me, yeah. And there are some awesome stencils out there now, isn't there, for tanks which you can use with an airbrush, where you can yeah. just like stick it on, uh, do one coat. So you did get your mid tone on. I think that's what I've done in the past. Yeah, I did my mid tone, put on some stencils just randomly in different places sporadically, yeah. and then uh, put the next layer on of, of yeah. stickers, and then I put the next layer on of stickers. Um, but I think I found when I did the sticker technique that I had to probably finish with the color that I wanted most because that covered up so much of the surface yeah, area. Correct. Yeah. So, uh, that was a really interesting one, but I think, yeah, using the airbrush and using stencils is a super easy way, isn't it? To get a lot of tanks done in that way. It really helps with vehicles. Yeah. Like the stencils don't, you can get really, really refined, tiny stencils for, for infantry. Um, but sometimes they don't, they don't, they don't give the desired result as best as possible. Like the, I personally prefer using a brush to put camo on infantry personally. Yeah, no, you're right. Because it's trying to get the stickers to actually hold on those places without it. Smudging is really hard to get it crisp. Yeah. That's great though. All right. Any uh, Anything else you wanted to cover, Steve? No, that's everything. I think that's uh, answered it really well. Yeah, great. Awesome. All right. Uh, thanks, James. Appreciate it. And uh, we will now uh, head back to close out the rest of the episode. All right. Thank you, James, again for that. Uh, if you guys have any questions for James, you can drop it into the uh, Facebook community page. I'm going to set up a, uh, 
a, another sticky uh, list for you guys to put questions in there for the next time I get to to interview James. Um, so that is it, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much for giving us your time and your attention, not just to this episode, but for the entire 2022 year. I do genuinely love and appreciate uh, the love that I get. I've loved being able to, to come on to this podcast and host it every week or almost every week-ish. Um, I do my best, guys. Um, sometimes I just got to be in court. Um, see, there you go. Mention again that I'm a lawyer. It's, it's just my massive ego. So anyway, thank you again, ladies and gentlemen, for for listening and and to, for tuning in um, uh, every episode to, to listen to us and joining in the conversation. Uh, coming up, like I said, in the next month or so, we're going to be talking about the Arcs of Omen, the, the, the balanced data slate, the points updates. We got LVO hitting, uh, hitting at the end of this month. Um, it's going to be a very busy 2020, uh, 2023, and we are barely getting started. We really are all looking forward to talking to and about all of it with you guys. So until then, this is Dave Calmel for Stephen Box and Michael Costello saying, wherever there is injustice, you will find us. Wherever there is suffering, we'll be there. Wherever liberty is threatened, you will find the three amigos. Happy New Year, everyone. Happy New Year. Happy New Year.